thanks rr for taking time to uh, joining us uh, in this uh, uh, interesting discussion uh, you know to set the agenda for the discussion the topic we will cover is to understand uh, how uh, you know big city game layers when big urban landscapes evolve uh you know both from a population and economic standpoint with a lot of people and you know with, into a big economy along mm-hmm. with it you know such uh, smaller towns becoming big cities like metros uh, growing in terms of population and economy they tend to have an impact on the social lives uh, of the people uh, who live there and also who migrate into those cities now uh, you know we, we we will try to explore Uh, uh you know what are such consequences and and i would like to take bengaluru as an example uh, so you know let me begin from this point i got to watch a netflix documentary which uh, captured a few uh, crime incidents it's called uh, uh india detectives crime story india detectives and uh, this is a set of uh, uh, real uh, you know it's a true crime uh, genre uh a netflix show and uh, four cases were uh, documented in that and these are real incidents that happened in bengaluru and uh, when i looked uh, into it you know two stories really caught my attention one where a uh, a 33 year old woman uh, murdered her mother and also tried to murder her brother not because they were resisting her demands or they were trying to curtail her her freedom but because of her uh, choices she went into deep debt and she at one point she realized things are not going to stay under covers forever and when things come out uh, eventually because she is a woman uh, you know being raised by a single mother it's going to be her mother who will get blamed for it as in you know if you had raised your girl right she wouldn't be like this and she didn't want her mother to face that embarrassment both her mother and brother and her choice uh, was not to elope or leave the home and run away or do something to herself she uh, wanted to kill uh, her mother and brother and eventually commit suicide uh, so her attack resulted in the death of her mother her brother survived she uh, moved uh, she traveled with her boyfriend who was completely unaware of the murder she did uh to andamans and she gets arrested there that's when she says uh, she had plans to commit suicide uh later and it was this guilty consciousness there was another incident in that same documentary where uh in this is a poor family they do not have a home they are homeless in bengaluru they live under a bridge and uh, you know father mother and then three four kids and uh, five or six maybe and then one of the youngest is about 1.5 years old it's a girl and uh, that girl child gets abducted by two people on a motorcycle and one of them uh, uh, one of the abductors or the kidnappers befriended the family just a few days before the girl child was taken away but during the investigation the cops realize or find out that uh, the father of the child was an accomplice to that crime so the father mm-hmm. decided oh it's a girl child and this is like the fifth or sixth child uh, you know it's it's already and and he uh, uh, at that time was making a living uh, by selling balloons in bengaluru and uh, you know there wasn't much uh, for their daily meals they were practically homeless living under a bridge and he thought uh, you know uh, the sixth or the fifth child was too much of a burden uh, and decided to give it away 
and he staged a kidnapping there hoping uh, mm-hmm. that would uh, they would you know he would not be caught and so on so so when i look into this and when i uh, uh, you know uh, think about the horror stories about bengaluru that i have heard in the past nothing to characterize bengaluru negatively but uh, the darker side of bengaluru that i uh, have heard in the past tends to match here you know that woman who killed her mother uh, you know she coming from a lower middle class family she wasn't uh, very poor she had uh, access to the basic facilities and her mother uh, you know i don't know what she did but she made sure her children both her daughter and son got access to education and so on and so she fed them she educated them and this woman actually educated got educated and had a job in the software industry she wasn't necessarily making uh, you know the big paycheck sort of a job but then she had a career in the it industry and she was no way near poor but then she had this drive to make it big in bengaluru uh, the drive mm-hmm. to Uh, go you know reach the upper echelons of the economic strata there in bengaluru and uh, she clearly was in the it industry so she had access to people who had made to that level and she clearly knew that uh, her career could take her there but she was uh, uh, in a mad drive in her own way but uh, before she could amass that type of wealth or economic prowess what she did was she started taking loans and uh, you know she she started having a lavish lifestyle on debt and at one mm-hmm. point she completely got drowned in debt uh, and so was her boyfriend as well they were basically taking debts to pay each other's debt uh, but both of them were this uh, uh, you know oh money 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 we need to live such a lavish lifestyle we will eventually succeed but they were just drowning themselves in debt and uh, uh, the breaking point for the woman led her to decide that her mother should not face the embarrassment for her uh, foolish decision making and her choice was to not to open up and apologize to her mother or reach out to her extended family for help but to kill her mother uh, just to ensure her mother would not face that uh, embarrassment so uh, you know i i as someone who was, uh, is born and raised in bengaluru how far is my characterization even close to reality because i have been saying so many things uh, literally putting bengaluru in very bad light how wrong am i uh, firstly thank you for uh, having me on this podcast and uh, i hope to answer your questions to the best of my ability based on my experiences over the past 25 plus years so getting into it the dark side of bengaluru that is absolutely there but that is the underrated side people don't want to actually see everybody wants to see how bengaluru is shining but you have to realize that only out of 100% let's say probably 5 to 10% people will only make it to the shiny side less 90% will end up in the dark side so people don't usually focus on that and everybody is on that grind to the point where parents are ignoring their kids kids are ignoring their parents you don't have any emotion or contact or a sense of community which existed before you don't have that now but so but case in but, point mm-hmm. yes case in point please, please. case in point the girl who had these dreams and aspirations she was just looking at uh, the top 5 to 10% just because the city is surrounded by affluent people doesn't mean that 
we can become that you have to realize how many how much effort they had put into reach there what were the lucky leverages they were they received in order to be there what their forefathers had to do in order for them to succeed so people don't realize that we are nowadays not taught about uh, the sense of hard work accountability responsibility uh, that's why people try to find these loopholes trying to make it in a short while mm-hmm. i think that is the key theme why people are driving towards that like take any engineer for example you go and ask him will you work for uh, standard pay in bengaluru and grow with your career growth he will say no he will jump to to three companies within two years and try to get that 30 40 lakh package which is possible but only for a certain lucky individuals but for the entire society people don't realize that patterns we have that aspiration and dreams and with the media selling bengaluru as that uh, golden swan child where you have that nightlife money can buy you things over here which i don't think other states do have such a vibrant nightlife dynamic affluent people people try to emulate and uh, they end up burning themselves like this hence the darker side like this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the ma ma focus on grinding yeah, and the whole focus on grinding and winning you you have to understand that there is so much only you can do and so much you can get and finding inner peace and happiness with what you have right now is more important than just take a regular bengaluru family everybody is working the wife is working the husband is working the kids are off to school the house essentially stays vacant people don't sit down have dinners and talk with their parents right now so that disconnect i feel was the trigger for that lady to go and kill her parents because we are conservatives by nature indians hence she was taken aback to such a drastic level that she had to kill them in order to save them from the shame that is how i feel about it. Mm-hmm. sure thanks for that but he, he, here's my question see in any city uh, you know a urban landscape you know the economy and population it's always growing there's always something new and better that will catch your attention and uh, the the drive to succeed Uh, tends to be uh, a bit more louder uh, in the city life a- and it is natural for any human to want uh, uh, or to want to achieve that sort of a growth in their own way the definition of growth and achievement can vary from person to person but uh, you know the intent or the need to succeed in life and have a better life uh, in the future is a very normal expectation and uh, people who move into bengaluru you know from other towns come there because of the employment opportunity that they have there and they also mm-hmm. share the same bengaluru dream uh, so to speak and so are uh, natives of bengaluru so if someone from a different town comes in there uh, you know th- for them bengaluru is a place of work they are there to build their career not everyone ends up bringing their family and settling down in bengaluru forever some of them do 
uh, and over the years i think that number has also significantly grown but uh, some of them uh, you know end up uh, settling down in hosur you know who still have a career in bengaluru and so on so you know people from outside come in they also have the same sort of drive uh, but how come the you know this evolution of bengaluru has caused a destruction in the very attitude of bengalurians to an extent that you know i used to uh, perceive i had a strong negative bias uh, towards bengaluru because I, i i used to say and i still believe you know bengaluru broke my friends uh mm-hmm. and the reason i would say that is uh, some of my friends who were uh, uh, who, who were holding a certain personality of their own whom i would relate to uh, they moved they moved to bengaluru it was their career that brought them there uh, but once they moved to bengaluru they evolved and uh, uh, when i met them after they spent a few years in bengaluru living in the life in bengaluru had changed them to an extent i wasn't able to identify with them uh, as the same old friend uh, while i still have the same feelings i did not see my friends alive in them they were very different person now i do acknowledge change is constant i am not the same person i was 10 years ago and i don't think i'll be this person 10 years from now change is always a constant but then uh, a, a, a drastic negative change in the personality of a person in the way they behave and and then this sudden pattern that emerging that emerges out when we meet multiple individuals from bengaluru uh, mm-hmm. okay and it would be a mix of people who are born and raised in bengaluru and then people who have migrated to bengaluru and the larger portion of that sample would display the same sort of negative behavior uh, either they have a very rough attitude uh you know uh, and their choice of life you know nobody can be 100% true i completely yeah. understand but their choice of uh, lies uh, you know has a pattern for those who who go into bengaluru evolve and then come out of bengaluru and display that character they might not notice it but those of us outside of bengaluru uh, are able to notice that and when i talk about it to other people they say you are right Uh, my brother went to bengaluru he is also changed he is also the same way that you say and i have been having this conversation with a lot of people here but i i i would still like to believe i have that bias in me because of my narrow observation but then as someone who is born and raised in bengaluru uh, you know uh, that that uh, uh, you know what do you think are the drivers behind this evolution where people become so hardened Uh, that you know i i i i uh, uh, was raised in chennai so i i live in chennai so i'm raised in chennai so uh, when my friends from rural area see me they tend to have a similar comment you know to them mm-hmm. i am i am a bit more rougher than they are they are quite soft spoken compared to me uh, they are more nicer compared to me and they have shared that comment but then uh, despite living and being raised in a city i find that bengaluru personality just uh, completely unsociable uh, uh you know you know it's it's always bite or get bitten what yeah. what is putting bengalurians on the edge like this and where has bengalurians niceness gone what's the story behind so from my perspective bengaluru was never like this if you could go probably a decade or 15 years ago like when i was small bengaluru was filled with the most positively nicest people you could find 
with no discrimination along any echelon. Like, you could go around with your neighbors, speak with them. Everyone would be friendly. People would just walk and talk with each other. Now, the whole cloak and dagger scenario in Bengaluru has increased because probably inflation, I want to say inflation as a factor, but it is just a consequence of people thinking that we need to amass more and more wealth so that we can live a certain lifestyle. Bengaluru is, is essentially people live here to show themselves off. They are not here to amass wealth so that they can live a good life. They want to amass wealth so that they can live a good life and show off to their peers and colleagues and family that they are living a better life. That is their agenda. So from that perspective, uh, a person, even in families, brothers don't talk to each other. Everyone is separate, working on their own grind, on their own uh, little projects or careers and making themselves up. There is no foundational family support from each other. Brothers, sisters, everyone wants to succeed, but no one wants to hold hands with each other and say, we will succeed together. So because of that, even friendships are corrupted nowadays. You will find loneliness to be the biggest uh, problem that Bengaluru, at least uh, the young individuals are facing right now. People are just stuck in their heads. What will the other person tell me? What is he planning? Is he trying to betray me? Maybe he thinks otherwise. So that has been a very key factor in uh, driving people away from each other. So mm -hmm. as Bengaluru became that uh, metropolitan city where grind, 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 work, 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 succeed, 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 that attracted people. People from all sectors came in. But as soon as you step into Bengaluru, you will feel that speed. The city, uh, how can I put this in uh, pleasant terms, runs at a particular speed. Either you catch up or you just fall down. If you fall down, nobody cares about you. People are only taken care of as long as you are uh, having a certain lifestyle or making a certain amount of money. Mm -hmm. Other than that, people are uh, agnostic to your existence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So no. I feel, uh, yes. I yeah, feel go ahead, go ahead. The need to show up, the need to amass wealth just to show off, not particularly to improve their lives. Uh, everyone is scared from each other for no reason. Now, sorry to interject. Now, I would like to get your view on this particular part. You said, you know, this uh, inflation and, uh, you know, in short, uh, uh, you know, people have a drive. Once they enter Bengaluru, they get the drive to become the elites of the city and the mad rush to become the elite in their own way, whatever is their definition of the elite, aka have a lot of money and have a lavish lifestyle so that they can display that to others. Uh, you know, that is uh, uh, driving them. But you uh, uh, I, I really lost the question there, but what I want to understand is uh, some of them, you know, the, the, you know, it's it's always a mixed bag. There are those who want to have that Instagram life. Their real life can be very different, but they care more about how their life gets displayed on Instagram. And then they will do all sorts of gimmicks 
to display that lavish lifestyle uh, and so on uh, but uh, isn't it unfair to uh, you know a, a small portion of the population if they are doing there's always that demographic and we can uh, you know use that reason to leave it at that but from what you are saying i'm suspecting a big significant portion of bengaluru population has this uh, uh craze for eliteness and that's what everyone is chasing I, 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 am i right in my understanding uh yes arun like it's not only limited to the people who are in instagram uh let's say you sit in a team of 10 people and you talk at the end if they don't have instagram they would like to flex what bike they have what car they have where are they living where are they going how they are traveling the conversation never steers to are they happy or not nobody comes in to bengaluru and asks you are you doing okay mm. they ask you how much you are earning what job are you doing have you bought have you do you have specific apart uh, properties or amassed a certain amount of uh, wealth yet mm-hmm. that toxic city is no longer just limited to the youth like if you could uh, go to the older folks let's say 20 years much older than me they will just talk with people who are in a specific economic class and whom they qualify they will talk with those economic band people mm-hmm. they will not be friendly with others who are lower at least mm-hmm. they will be chummy to the guys who are in their upper echelons mm. okay see n- now uh, about 15 17 years ago when i visited bengaluru as a college student along with my college mates for what was a industrial visit uh, you know we did have someone from bengaluru who was our classmate and you know he clearly a local from bengaluru uh, he helped us uh, uh, literally operating as the tour guide uh, because he would know where, where to go and so on so he would take us to all the places uh, and so on and uh, uh, each day was a plan we had a plan and then towards the evening it was more freestyle you know who would want to go to shopping and this and the, you know, we would just tell him what we want to do and then he would say oh if you want to do this you need to go to this part of town and and he would take us there and we would drive there in the bus and then we'll uh, ha- we'll do all sort of uh, sightseeing and so on I, and in one such occasion during that trip he introduced to us and that was the first time in my life i came uh uh you know uh, i was introduced to this concept of window shopping i have never ever heard that term until that time i'm talking 2004 to 2006 somewhere in between this timeline but he said we can go there there is this uh, i don't know if it still exists it used to be called the central mall and uh, uh you know we can go to central mall and you can do window shopping there and uh, everyone said yes and we went there but all along that ride i was wondering what is that thing and then he explained to me you go there you can roam around and it was really a spectacle you know it it was a instagram feel but in real life at that point in time and uh, you know because it was all glass walls brightly lit uh, you know sweet uh, uh, smelling rooms and you know uh, incredibly expensive uh, products on display some you know brands that we never ever heard of but apparently is in the premium segment uh, and you know we would just roam around and you will have uh, you know small cards for the perfume where we will spray and then we'll play with it. those are that was the very first time we ever came across that sort of an atmosphere 
and and then only then i realized okay so this is window shopping so the way he explained it was okay it was almost a hobby there so for for younger kids you know we were college kids we go to a big city there is a mall college kids being attracted towards a mall and then roaming around the mall and having a look at all the products because to us that is a fantasy i can i can relate to that and say that those were some of the moments that you know where uh, you know those were the instances where people would be attracted towards uh, uh, you know whatever their definition of eliteness would be but then uh, yes that could be a driver and uh, i i'm only inclined to see that in positive light but then uh, fast forward to now now i realize uh, the town had gone through much more than just fantasizing about window shopping uh and uh, uh, it, it's 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 very very uh, different you know it, it's it's very rare to find a a a nice person to have a nice conversation there they are always very rough and you know someone from bengaluru when they visit here uh, uh chennai is still rough i i i you know although i'm from chennai i wouldn't say chennai is the most soft spoken city and all chennai has its own rougher side but uh, we won't go to that extent for example we are sitting in a restaurant uh, and i'm there with someone who uh, is not from bengaluru but as in he he moved in for a job so he lives in bengaluru it's his career that took him there he is from tamil nadu but uh, is there and he was here and uh, he would call the waiter with uh, uh, the smooching sound mm-hmm. and, and that's how he called the waiter that's how you would call a dog or your yeah. pet pet animal you know something that you consider is under your care something which is comparatively powerless to you but that's a fellow human being you either raise, you just raise your hand and they are going to come and ask you how can i help you sir they are there to serve so no doubt about it or you can here we say yaranga thambi anna inga vaanga there there are so many ways of it. who's there you you can do mm-hmm. all sorts of thing or you can you can even clap or you can you could have done anything but his choice was and you do all that when you do not have a direct view or eye contact with that person you don't know who the waiter is but you just raise your hand and then wherever yeah. they are they will see your hand and they'll come to your table and ask uh, what you want but when you see someone all you would do is you'll just raise your hand and say excuse me or can you can you, can you help me please and then they will immediately come up but his uh, choice was and <laughs> never expected you know a, a school principal might uh, call a student towards him that way just before a punishment to instill that fear <laughs> you know that's when you have an authority over that person and you want yeah. to hey, come 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 here and then then uh, the, the kid might be trembling but even that a principal using to call a student is just uh, uh, mean in in my own way but that wasn't the only instance many other instances where i had interacted with people from bengaluru although they are not born and raised in bengaluru they just spent a few years there they go in smooth but they come back really really rough so uh, what is bengaluru doing to people uh, i don't know i still want to believe i am just looking at a smaller sample but uh, given the uh, horror stories that we see it is really really hard but then you mentioned about inflation and this mad rush to become the elite and people choosing to speak only with the elite i is that the case only with the 
rich gated communities or even with the middle class and you know whom we would call the regular people uh only in the context of bengaluru yes it would only refer to the middle class and regular people so if you have uh, uh, let's say people who are coming from uh, different districts and states they essentially don't subscribe to such ideologies when they come here but if they stay long enough they might because uh, once you stay here you start falling into place how everybody is in line you get in line you you get in line become uh, try to reflect people and become a similar image so that you could uh, be someone a part of this society so mm-hmm. that's the whole madrasha mm-hmm. but why do they do that they want to be a part of something that's how i feel about this mm-hmm. they want to be a part of something they want to be a part of something which is respectable in a very twisted way mm-hmm. they want to be a part of a community because you'll not find a community in the lower classes you'll not find a community in the middle classes but in a gated community yes there will be a community but will people have good faith towards you no everyone will have their own uh, cloak and dagger uh, mm-hmm. all smokes and mirrors mm-hmm. thing going on because mm-hmm. nobody essentially likes you but they just put up because they have to some people are genuinely good but that is a very small percentage of people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now it is disturbing to note that uh, experienced stakeholders or elders who have experience uh, in education and still reaching that high level they have this sense of picking people with whom they would speak or picking or having the habit of uh, categorizing people on who are their equals and who are their unequals or inequals uh, is just uh, horrifying but uh, uh, you know did you face or come face to face with such uh, uh, eliteness so to speak while growing up in bengaluru what was your experience say from your school days absolutely there there were many instances but uh, just to give you a taste of what how things uh, were moving around so my school was uh, better than the other schools it was sort of like a convent so it was the best school for that region specifically so all of the higher middle class and slightly elite people used to attend there so case in point imagine i was not a part of uh, the elite society i come from a lower middle class middle class background so i could never make it into that society so considering those facts when i had any issue i go to the teacher it would never be solved everything all the fingers were just pointed at me blaming me so now if an elite student has an issue the teacher would become their own uh, little personal therapist consoling them guiding them giving them the right guidance and telling them even though it is their fault that it's not their fault it's the other person's fault so can you give an that's example that's one instance an example okay so one instance would be when i was in high school i used to get bullied a lot by these uh, elite assholes sorry about cursing on the oh, channel oh you have full freedom 
Okay. There's no restriction here. Yeah. So when I reached out to the teacher, the, these sort of uh, people are bullying me like, to find any solution for this. The teacher was just stonewalled me. She never uh, listened to my cries. In fact, uh, the bullying used to happen in front of her. She wouldn't dare uh, take an action against those people. Why but, do you uh, why, why do you think she wouldn't take an action against the those who bullied you? Because uh, this is my understanding of that situation. Because I am not a part of that little herd of sheep. Me being the outlier, probably made them feel that if they take my side, they would also be become the outlier with me, and they would have to face their wrath. So hmm. maybe that could be the can, case. Can you can you describe that herd of sheep and your state uh, at that point in time so that we can understand uh, uh, the difference between you and those who bullied you? So, in what terms, Arun? Like specifically uh well you're pointing at that you know if the if if the if it is an elite kid being accused of bullying then that kid would never face any disciplinary action and uh, the other normal kid who's not necessarily elite uh, would be accused of despite bringing that issue to the teacher but then we need to understand uh, what categorized that kid as elite and you as not you know what was the difference between you and those who bullied you Okay, so economic first thing, first thing would be economic. Second thing would be yeah, the details of that economic. You know, because we are trying to understand an event from the past. You know, okay, what differentiated them from you? First would be the economic. Second would from economic standpoint, it would be their entire attire. Uh, they looked as if they were just straight out of a factory, crisp and clean. I I came from a rough house, so it wasn't that crisp and clean from my end. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you could see a rich person, you analyze their uh, appearance, uh, whatever they carry, you could just put tags on it, right? Like this cost this much, this cost this mm -hmm. much, and you could categorize that person. So on that visual basis, you could clearly see the difference. Mm -hmm. okay, this person is coming in, he has... Uh, that's it. That point of time. expensive yes. things. Yes. What sort of expensive things? Any examples? From everything around it, from your stationery to your shoes to your cycles, or the mode of transportation which they arrive. What's so expensive in a cycle? All kids go to school in cycle. Oh, okay. Uh, interesting. You bring that up. So, cycles. If you if you do know about cycles that you know you could get a cheap cycle for three to four thousand or five thousand nowadays and back then you could get an expensive cycle for 50k 60k back then like okay okay 15 years ago mm -hmm. so 15 used to 15 years ago 50 60k was uh more than a very good motorcycle yeah so and kids would come to school in cycles worth 50,000 rupees 10-15 years ago. Yeah. So 20,000 okay. cycles was like, okay, he's an average guy coming in. Mm -hmm. 
ஒருத்தர்ஸ்ட்ரேஷன்ஸ்ட்ரேஷன்ஸ்ட்ரேஷன்ஸ்ட்ரேஷன்ஸ்ட்ரேஷன்ஸ்ட்ரேஷன்
uh, you know oh uh, i will i won't speak with you because you do not have this sort of stuff i will only speak with a certain type of uh, students who tend to display a certain lifestyle but uh, uh, how would you characterize the the uh, or how would you generalize this situation because it, was it a case of you being in that unique situation or was that the state of bengaluru at that point in time i say that was the point of evolution for bengaluru from my ex perspective because is that situation unique to me alone to a little extent maybe yes but uh, i have seen similar uh, narratives from my juniors as well who who uh, because my brother was a junior to me a few years down to me so he had similar experiences so, and other juniors who also know me they narrated similar experiences seniors <laughs> they had a heightened experience of what i went through if mine was like 80% discrimination they went through 9500% discrimination and other schools as well although i am not particularly familiar with all the other schools whether it happened all around but uh, with whomever i had contact with there was a similar pattern that was being followed mm-hmm. so that too for the upper echelon schools or mid or upper schools not for uh, the mid lower or mid schools because mm-hmm. everyone there was sort of equity there so mm-hmm. their groupism was more towards based on linguistics uh, and being the tough guy in class mm-hmm. that sort of scenario mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but when you move upper the ladder you find uh, economic factor being the key discriminating factor mm. so you are saying if, if someone went to a bengaluru school which is popular for teaching uh, the rich kids in town then uh, uh, unless they are equally or comparatively richer uh, they are not going to be considered an equal so yes mm-hmm. d- d- does that mean those rich kids would get uh, any undue uh, leverages or uh, uh, you know concessions uh, or special treatment from the teaching and non teaching staff of the school a- anything like that that the regular students would not have access to absolutely uh, after the school and after the dust settled everything when i have conversations with a few folks from back from school right now they do open up and tell me back then teachers were actually helping these students to get better grades they were uh, essentially leaking the papers before because uh, as 1 to 9th you have all internal exams right there is no government exam uh, assessing your marks so teachers have uh, that uh, power to set their own questions and their own question papers so they essentially used to help these students out first so that they get a better uh, grades even for uh, let's say a position of uh, volunteering or a position of power like electing house captains and such you will not find uh, a regular person given the chance you will only find these elite uh, people being offered such roles hmm the, 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 that is interesting because back when i was in school 
if you are becoming or getting chosen as uh, the house captain and often times house captain roles were decided through sports activities if someone is mm-hmm. a house captain then that boy or girl uh, must be really good in you know at least one or two sports activities where they you know they have a history of winning the overall championship where you win at least four medals uh, in four separate events and so on and then usually those who shine in sports they tend to become uh, the house captains and even when it comes to the school people leader it is almost always the top rankers you you know the, you know those who excel in academics uh, and you know and in some rare cases uh, the school people leader might also be a house captain Mm-hmm. uh you know uh, so, if they are also so it was more on the concept of achievement either in the sports area or academic area that's what was the basis behind the kids being selected uh, uh to to those roles but uh, you you are saying when you were in school uh, the rich kids were given that chance someone from a middle class family who does not display a rich lifestyle would would be kept out of uh, scope absolutely because if you are a part of that circle you would be given those opportunities to excel mm-hmm. now if someone is from the middle class you will not be allowed uh, to enter into sports you will you will have the ability to play in inter like the school events what happens between the classes but not in inter school events because there then again uh, comes the barrier of rather than talent it would be if a person can pay and get in pay and, and get uh, what get into those uh, training sports training sort of things mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there was no let's say if a class of uh, 40 boys no assessment of who can perform well in a certain sport who has the natural talent for it rather okay he has paid his fees okay he is part of that uh, volleyball thing so he will be now pushed into being the volleyball cap mm. that's how the whole thing went ah, okay so, so, did, so if you are yes, yes go ahead so if you are from a lower income family now you don't have those uh, specific opportunities you don't have the opportunity to excel in other areas if you are limited by that and your marks are being curtailed because teachers are leaving you out of the loop essentially so how do you get those opportunities and the people who got from my perspective were from the top echelon people who were in with the teachers like those were not uh, people who did the ask kissing part for the entire group they will never get that opportunity the only elites super elites in that row will get those opportunities because those opportunities would be made available through prior opportunities which were made available to them so it's sort of a weird uh, systemic staircase where only the rich people are given those steps to grow and uh, come up in the school ecosystem mm mm-hmm. okay and uh, uh... what would you say about the experience of other regular non elite students who went to the same school with you uh, did they also uh, uh, go through similar experiences you know that you are narrating 
to most extent, yes, probably 80 to 90% of what I went through, they also had similar experiences. But many of the times, uh, since I was not uh, willing to kiss their asses and uh, be at their beck and call, I was the uh, essential outlier. So people who were at their beck and calls, they would be they would have a fate where they had people to rely on and talk to. But if you are not, you have no one. So one interesting uh, example I could give you was, uh, there was uh, back in seventh standard. So there was one kid who transferred to our school. So I and he, we grew to like each other and we became friends. But on the third day, he came back to me and told, I cannot be friends with you because if I stay friends with you, those guys will not play with me. So we were like just five outlying people, four or five at that time, who were not part of that uh, odd 40-member group. So he essentially left us to be a part of their clan and uh, kiss their asses and be in the loop. Mm. The, 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 that is interesting. But this sort of groupism is quite common in schools uh, and educational institutions. Pretty much everyone would have observed some sort of thing. But given that you said, uh, you know, other regular or non-elite student also went through similar experiences, wouldn't this... Uh, type of uh, uh, unfair treatment reach the ears of the parents eventually it would have and the parents would have come uh, because that's not what parents uh, expect from the school administration did, did you know did, did the news never ever reach the parents like what was the parents reaction uh, to this uh, i can't vouch for others because i don't know whether they did tell their parents mm -hmm. or not from mm -hmm. my experience what i can tell is that if the parent does go ahead and speak with the teacher, the teacher will be uh, just trying to console the parent and say these things will not happen again, but the cycle will just continue from the next day. Hmm. Okay. That uh, uh, th 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 that is uh, interesting. I'm still trying to explore uh, this uh, idea that you know what you might have gone through might be a set of outlier incidents, but you are clearly saying the other students also had to uh, go through it. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, in, in previous uh, instances, you know, in, from, in other conversations where I have heard teachers uh, taking special interest in a certain set of students in class, oftentimes they do come from uh, very strong economic or, uh, you know, official or government background where their parents hold high-ranking positions in the government mm -hmm. or their parents have a high-ranking or a public uh, role as in some uh, they are a leader of a political organization or they are they are just a doctor or some uh, you know uh, uh, rich and renowned person oftentimes what i have heard is that the teachers tend to have this perception that if i take care of their children really well in class in, in future, if I need some help, I can reach out to their parents and they will extend their help to me because I took good care of their kids. Mm -hmm. That was what was narrated to me. And again, this is not from 
the teachers in such schools but again comes from a student the student's perception was that hey uh, when i was a student there were other students in class whose parents were really rich and some of them were even famous they will always get a special treatment and so will their parents because the teachers had a feeling if we keep them happy even the management because they want their child to stay in that school and the teachers also had a feeling later in future if we need some help with respect to a better job or something in favor of their children uh, uh, in future you know them being in the good books of these renowned uh, rich stakeholders uh, is always better was that something that you observed while i, I want to agree with you mm-hmm. but from my experience what i've seen these teachers are too old to the point they don't want that uh... Uh, leverage sort of mm-hmm. uh, so they like are really now very the old teachers, teachers. Uh, yes like uh, as we speak now i guess 98% probably one teacher is just left from the batch who taught us all of them have retired mm-hmm. so considering mm-hmm. that fact and uh, now he, he here's my question there if uh you know uh, if younger teachers you know teachers who are still fresh in their teaching job they are in their 20s this is probably the second or the third school that they are working probably mm-hmm. the second class that they are teaching when they are very new in the teaching profession they are still young and they will also have that same uh, get rich josh and you know they can display but you are saying older ripe old teachers so if if older people means they have much more experience they are supposed to be much more seasoned they would have seen many students over the time and they would know uh, how the you know they would know the length and breadth of uh, every child's mind that they have thought uh, why would such senior members display this sort of favoritism or weird behavior uh, favor you know uh, keeping rich kids as their favorites why would they do that uh, i have uh, no idea honestly but uh, coming to the younger folks younger teaching crowd uh, we we did have one uh, computer teacher who was there probably for a year or two and uh, she was relatively young probably this was her first or second school but she did not subscribe to such discrimination she was mm-hmm. very open and another art teacher who joined us she was also relatively young mm-hmm. but she didn't sub- subscribe to such discrimination mm-hmm. so much of the discrimination is essentially from the old folks rather than the younger folks mm-hmm. old maybe even uh, mid career folks mm-hmm. okay now my other question is this favoritism that the teachers showed towards a specific set of students what, what, you know both the students and the teachers were they or are they uh, from bengaluru or are they people who migrated from other parts of the country to bengaluru are they natives of bengaluru mm. from my assessment i the, discrim- the people who discriminated are from bengaluru and they are from a slightly better working class family mm-hmm. so from what i feel is that since they were treated better and their children are being treated better it's most of their children also were a part of this school they were treated better now they want to continue that cycle so that it doesn't die hmm. 
Okay, so uh, so the, the reason I asked that question is, was it a case of, you know, let's say uh, I, I speak Tamil natively, let's say I migrate to Bengaluru and then I become a teacher in class and then I notice four or five Tamil speaking students there, then naturally, because they uh, are my kind, they speak my language, naturally I'm inclined to speak a little more with them and I might even use yeah. my native language to speak and uh, that could and if that leads to me uh, you know showing some sort of favoritism although unfair the basis for that favoritism is the linguistic connect where a teacher from Tamil Nadu is uh, showing favoritism towards uh, students who have who are from a Tamil background okay so was that the case I don't think linguistics was the case. And okay. we didn't have uh, a diversity of students. Like probably 95 to 98% of the students were from Karnataka Bengal. alone. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and the teachers were also from Bengaluru and students also Bengaluru. That diversity in linguistics was never uh, a key driver in the discrimination aspect. Okay, so it was a predominantly Kannadiga crowd and there weren't that much linguistic diversity to even suspect that as a reason. So it was yeah. clearly uh, their uh, eliteness or uh, them being rich and uh, identifying within that upper echelons of the society. Now, uh, you know, I still want to get back to that same 40-50,000 cycle part of it, uh, yeah. you know, uh, even at the age of 27, where I was having a job and I was able to pay for my bike, it took me months before I could convince my parents to buy my first motorcycle, uh, despite me having the capacity to pay for it. Uh, getting their permission was a tough ask. I did manage to get it. I still have that bike. That's a different story. But then at the age of 27, with a job, I had a tough time convincing my parents to uh, let me buy my motorcycle or with my own money. But uh, school kids having access to 40, 50,000 rupees cycles 10 years ago means uh, that was a whole different uh, universe I wasn't aware of. I am not aware of a 50,000 cycle even now. When I come across those expensive cycles, my only question is, why would you pay such money? It does not even have a mudguard. Uh, that's how far my yeah. understanding goes. But, uh, you know, if kids were really having that cycle... Uh, I want to understand the reason behind school kids using cycles that were a little more expensive than motorcycles back then. Uh, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, so, so where they like wa was Bengaluru seeing a trend in a lot of bicycle stunts happening where kids really needed those 40, 50,000 cycles to do what they wanted to do. What would the kids do with a 50,000 cycle? They just drive it from they don't do any stunts the guys who actually do the stunts don't drive such expensive cycles so it was just a uh you know so it was the iphone of that generation uh, it was a sort of an emblem to show off their uh, mm -hmm. class i suspect mm -hmm. and but, and they and they would not yes. let kids with uh, less expensive or normal looking cycles to be part of their crowd Whenever you see a group of uh, students moving out, you would see their cycles. You would realize, okay, these are the this is the cadre of people who is moving out. You will not see, let's say, four bikes of forty k and one bike of three or five k behind. That would never happen. Mm -hmm. So there would be 
let's say four or five people like me who drive regular bicycles, that would be a separate group. It would never be mixed. Hmm. Okay. And interestingly enough, by the time we reached eighth or ninth standard, most of them uh, moved to get motorbikes and some of them by 10th uh, ended up getting cars to school. I don't know how teachers justified that, but that happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the, the, the kids with expensive cycles, expensive and bikes and cars, uh, uh, they were the ones who were the teacher's favorites. Yes. Now, I, I want to look at it from another angle. Now, for whatever be the reason, you know, given our conversation as of now, it, it seems to emerge that rich kids were getting additional attention and a softer approach from the teachers. But uh, why should that be a bias? You know, so if I'm the teacher in the class and if I am showing some additional interest on just a specific set of students, that need not mean that I am deliberately ignoring the others. I could still do what I'm required to with all the students, except I just give some additional attention to them. Why Why would you categorize that additional attention as a negative? Additional attention being uh, you only, you go above and beyond what teacher has to do for those specific students. Additional attention being you actually become uh, a therapist for them. Additional attention being you, if they have even minor uh, psychological crisis, you be there for them. But for a regular student, you don't be there for that student at a capacity of a teacher. So that divide clearly shows me that they get more preferential treatment than us. Mm -hmm. Let's say if there is a young couple in school, they get broken up. This teacher is very interested in going and helping heal that kid's mental trauma. But uh, if an outlier like me or anybody else gets bullied very badly to the point where he is uh, uh, beaten up, the teacher does nothing. Uh, I don't see the justice there. Hmm. Okay, so they were so much interested in their personal lives and their uh, welfare that uh, they did not bother about uh, abuse and anything negative happening to other kids. Yeah. Was it a case of one or two teachers doing it or was it fan school? I would say nine out of ten. There were always outlier teachers who didn't okay. subscribe to this. Mm -hmm. But majority of them did subscribe to this uh, criteria of discrimination. Mm -hmm. uh, and how, how else would this, uh, you know, how did this discrimination impact you as a student? Uh, this uh, impacted me to have uh, trust issues in the end. I have no social life. I have no friends. Becoming scared of people, becoming scared of human relationships to the point where I don't want to be a part of anything. I am happy alone. And not trusting people at home because Back then, if you couldn't trust your guardians to help you save from those situations, and they were helpless as well, not realizing at that point. So where could you go? If your teachers, your guardians, even school principal discriminated you on those basis, on those criterias. 
Can you narrate an incident where the principal uh, displayed that sort of behavior? Okay, so uh, back in high school, uh, the principal used to take uh, history classes for us. And uh, she was a psychologist by profession, if I'm not wrong. And uh, so she had these weird uh, teaching methods. And for a normal guy like me, I never understood those uh, teaching methods. I used to ask others like if they actually got it, like were those teaching methods were effective for them as well. Everybody agreed, at least the outlier group agreed that uh, they didn't understand. But everyone used to stand up and say, oh, because at the end of the class, the teacher used to have a review sort of thing where she used to ask everybody, how was her teaching? And everyone used to say, oh, it was five-star rating. It was so good. We understood everything we used to never understand. Everyone used to just butter her up. I never used to do that. Mm -hmm. So to the point where every class she had to make a negative comment about me. I, I never participated in the review. I would just say thank you for taking the class and I would just sit down. And... Uh, she would uh, drag me out after class, call my parents as well, and say something is wrong with this kid because everyone is getting, he is not getting. Okay, so because you did not give her the open public appreciation, she pulled you out uh, and categorized you as someone with... Uh, uh, low IQ or something who had uh, learning disabilities. Yeah. Mm, and so now, yes, please. So my question would be like, it, it is apparent. Like, if you are a teacher, you would understand if the student is lying or not. They are lying to their face, but she takes it. I don't even be a part of that conversation, but. Why am I being dragged there? Hmm. What is associating? Okay, if you leave that aside as well, even before that, we never had any contact, me and the principal. But these elite students always made it a point to be dragged by her for any occasion. And uh, they would always be there for her. And she would always be there for them. Why was that opportunity presented only to them? If you think about it, if there is any opportunity or any event to be hosted, it should be for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. For volunteering and stuff. Mm -hmm. That should be open for everybody. But mm -hmm. why was it only them? Mm -hmm. That doesn't add up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Clearly, there was bias uh, operating in that school. But my, now, coming back to how Bengaluru has evolved as a community of uh, uh, displaying very rough behavior, which is unsociable uh, in nature. Uh, what are the chances in that these type of rich elite kids who are at the receiving end of uh, the teacher's favoritism, uh, are they in any way uh, uh, contributors or do they display this sort of rough behavior? Absolutely, they do. Because uh, they feel they are entitled to everything. They end up acting in a certain way. 
which is actually rough. Can you give an others. example? So let's say I call you, you pick up. We talk about random things in life and we go about our day, right? Now let's say I call this elite person. He'll be like, okay, how are you? No, no, no. How are you will also not come into the picture. Hello. What are you doing right now? What's your job? How much you're making? And goodbye. This happened to me. Okay. They just call to get a no, status I, check of your technology. I reach out because it's been a while. Mm -hmm. So the other people who are not in that uh, elite strata, they openly talk. But uh, these elite strata people, when I reach out to talk to them, or even others, they have similar experiences. They have very, very, very limited conversation. And much of it just boils down, boils down to ask about what are they doing right now and how much they make. Mm -hmm. So they, they specifically ask how much you make as in your salary. Yeah. And is that, you know, going outside of those elite stakeholders, uh, is that a common thing uh, in Bengaluru to ask each other how much they make? It depends on the circle, mm -hmm. but if you move around, uh, it totally depends on the people around, to be honest. But mm -hmm. there is a strata of people who actually operate in such a way. Mm -hmm. Most of them, but it won't be direct as this. It will be an indirect method of gauging the other person. Mm. Okay. Okay. Uh, but but uh, let's say I, I go to a shop uh, or a crowded public space, a restaurant, and then it's it's a mad rush and I have to like wiggle through the crowd and uh, push each other and then finally buy what I need and so on. So I tend to display a certain sort of a rough attitude there just to get what I want without necessarily waiting for the other person. I have very little interest in the other's welfare. I just want what I want uh, without necessarily having to wait and so on. Uh, and then that sort of a rude behavior happens everywhere, you know, be it in a public place like a restaurant uh, or a store uh, or even in on the road, how I treat my fellow road users. Uh, and so, you know, if, if I'm in a car, and this is something common even in Chennai and what I have noticed because I uh, I have a motorcycle. I have, a re, uh, you know, I have driven more on my motorcycle than uh, the car. What I would notice is when I am on the motorcycle, uh, you know, the, the bigger vehicles do not necessarily, not all of them, I wouldn't categorize all of them, but a lot of times they would challenge me on the road just purely on account that, I'm a smaller two-wheeler. They can easily okay. hit me and, you know, my safety is in my own hands. They are going, I'm coming, you better move away. And then they will not let me, they will not yield. A car will not yield to my motorcycle. My motorcycle has to yield uh, to a car. And that I, I would have noticed it. And a lot of times I would think, okay, today's traffic is rough. I don't know what's happening in news. The, the city is a bit angry. Uh, uh, but that would just be me going through Russia traffic. So, you know, you see in so many other instances, rude behavior being displayed. This set of elite stakeholders and then this elite lifestyle 
getting special attention and favoritism uh, that and this rude behavior in public places are they related in any way are these two things completely separate entities i feel those two things are separate entities around because at the end of the day road rash or rough behavior from individuals in public places mm-hmm. will be more towards the frustration of being in bengaluru because the city is running at a certain speed like i said uh, you move out to other cities you will not feel that pace when you come to bengaluru you just step foot you'll understand the air is also traveling faster for some reason so when the city moves at such pace and uh, right now our society is moving towards complete disconnection and isolation people are just being pent up with uh, unreleased emotions and frustrations not making it not meeting those deadlines or their own uh, kpis of sorts of not reaching a certain point in life so everyone becomes uh, highly pressurized air bottles to the point where one point of contact would just let that air out and uh, the bottle would start shooting everywhere that's how i feel uh, right now bengaluru is and uh, the media how they portray the regional media especially right now how they portray masculinity of sorts being more uh, vocal violent that is just uh, negatively impacting this and adding to the chaos for the younger generation uh, if you have seen the news the violence in bengaluru is increasing people are scared to go out in uh, many parts of the city people from nowhere just come in and start screaming and shouting all because of uh, from my perspective their pent up frustrations and uh, disappointment of not reaching their goals mm. now interesting you mentioned pent up frustration and you did use the term isolation i want to probe into that what makes you think that bengaluru people are facing isolation currently mm, what makes me feel because everyone is on the run you cannot find uh, nowadays anyone to sit back and just speak and spend the weekend with from your parents to the kids everyone is just uh, running towards infinity of sorts and uh, to the point where having even any sort of emotional connection is difficult right now hmm now he, he, here's my question uh, uh you know in a big city there is clearly a lot of people so you have many options to interact and there are so many ways people can you know have interactions outside of their family Uh, you know with like minded individuals they might join a trekking club they might join a chess club they might join a tennis club a gym uh, 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 you know walking club and so on so you know th- there are multiple groups or small small uh, communities that people can be involved with uh, it is hard for me to uh, conceptualize or even understand the isolation that you are referring to in such a crowded city where people spend most of the day busy with their job 
uh, you know uh, trying to uh, earn what they aspire to uh, you know clearly what they are doing is to spend that earning towards their interest possibly with their loved ones and others so the need for social life is a is, is common for all humans irrespective of their economic status so I, I, can you help me better understand the state of isolation and loneliness that you are referring to in bengaluru because i really suspect that is a very rare that should be a rare thing in a big city uh, how come in a honest, city people are isolated what people do to counter that isolation so from my perspective what i'm seeing is that uh, larger crowd of uh, the younger folk no matter they be non non bengaluru people who have come here for work or be bengaluru guys itself as everybody goes through their phase of career everybody just gets separated and uh, they are just fixed with their own lives not everybody ends up having the luxury of having a circle of people who they can reach out to and have a good time essentially so this has uh, increased the loneliness scene in bengaluru to the point where it's become a commercial opportunity for market participants to build meetups and uh, charge for them so some meetups are around like trekking or board games and stuff it's age agnostic but as you with many people fearing uh, each other and not have and having that mindset of uh, the whole cloak and dagger uh, scenario in bengaluru you can't just go to the other person introduce yourself and uh, become friends essentially as of now so the only friends whom you can become with if you have any existing friend circle or you have a work circle so that has uh, exacerbated uh, the whole loneliness scene here can you elaborate more on those commercial side of things because joining a trekking club a chess club uh, walking club you know this is quite normal in cities and you know now even in smaller towns and villages clubs uh, are uh, coming up that is just like minded people getting together to practice the hobby of their choice i don't see the commercial aspect of it when any trekking club or a, a biker club is arranging an event there is an expense associated with it so people do share those expenses but what exactly are you referring to when you say there is a commercial angle to people fighting their loneliness so if you have a very large population of people who are lonely so clubs essentially used to be there used to be one or two biker clubs at best right there won't be like 10 15 biker clubs now trekking for example in bengaluru you have more than probably i could be wrong more than 10 uh, trekking clubs so that indicates for me a commercial angle mhm if there is such a demand people are going to come up to meet that demand and if there is demand there is money to be made that is how i see things now it it is really hard for me to consider people joining trekking clubs as being a commercial means to avoid loneliness uh, i will have to put this question more bluntly do people pay to have a companion outside of the scope of prostitution Mm. 
as in uh, so I, 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 I log into an app and then I pay I, I need a companion to play chess with me and then I pay a certain amount and then someone shows up at my door a complete random person uh, who is paid to spend a few hours with me just to play chess with me Okay, we haven't reached that point yet as of now, mm-hmm. but uh, we do have meetups of sorts where you have to pay to be a part of those uh, circles and be a part of their group essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... But that whole individual companionship scenario might be not there from my perspective, but could be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, you, you're saying every group atmosphere where people are, you know, it's open for everyone to join, uh, it's almost always a paid uh, affair. You know, it's, it's a paid adventure. So, you, so, you know, if you are not willing to spend money, you cannot expect companionship in Bengaluru. Absolutely. Most of the times, yes. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say you're a young individual in Bengaluru who has no family over here. So only options you resort to would be probably going and meeting people outside. But most of the people outside are so reserved they don't want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. See, so how do you go about it? Here's my question. I am going to be reserved with complete strangers, but I might have my own friends network. Uh, how How do you categorize this Loneliness of the Bengalurians. How do I categorize this? Or, or how, do you, how would you describe that? I'm trying to understand. When you say Bengaluru people are more lonely now than they used to be for a city with uh, exploding population, loneliness is the last thing that I might expect for them. Uh, at the same time, I don't expect everyone to have like 300 friends chasing them on the phone to spend, hang out with them. Uh, but everyone will have their own uh, circle of friends, however small it is, uh, you know, where and how exactly this loneliness. Now, those who come there for work, I can understand to some extent because they leave their family here uh, and they are there for their jobs. And in many circumstances, five days they stay in Bengaluru for the job, for the weekend they come back here. You know, for a lot of people in Chennai and in Tamil Nadu, they come back home for weekend and then go back again Monday morning there and they live their life in Bengaluru is out of those PG hostels mm-hmm. uh, and, and so on. So while they are there in Bengaluru, it's more clockwork, uh, you know, uh, eat, sleep, work, eat, sleep, work, and then get back home for the weekend and yeah. so on. Uh, I can understand. But then they don't make the entire Bangalore city. There are people who have settled there. There are families there. Uh, how, how do you think this loneliness is impacting Bangalore, Bangalorean lifestyle? And, and what are the areas where you get to notice the after effect of this loneliness? Okay. So one perspective would be the complete disconnect between families as of now. What do you see... What I have seen at least is that there is an increase in the number of old age homes, meaning that uh, people are just so busy with their lives that they cannot take care of their elders. They are putting them away. Now, if they are put away, you 
essentially don't have many people to interact with. now if you have if you are a native in bengaluru and uh, you grow up your you have x number of people in your circle with uh, as you grow up people tend to scatter many of them move out to chennai probably pune for work education and uh, the number of people whom you know decreases essentially to zero or one or two at best now those people if you do have contact many of the times they are busy with their own work commitments and family commitments so that disconnect and that uh, non existent friend circle is mm-hmm. uh, driving the loneliness over here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you in a way referring to this possibility of the social or the family structure crumbling in the bangalore lifestyle oh, oh yes in uh, many instances yes mm-hmm. not all families have crumbled some mm-hmm. conservative families do retain mm-hmm. that uh, familial hierarchy mm-hmm. but most of them who are in that uh, who are in the bandwagon for westernization or even becoming more liberal mm-hmm. they tend to have a crumbled family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now Uh, from my own experience uh, one of my earlier jobs uh, me and my manager from chennai we had a client uh, uh, in bengaluru uh, i cannot name them for obvious reasons and uh, uh, it's a big construction company and uh, we were helping them with process consulting and uh, audits and helping them optimize their uh, uh, operations and uh, Uh, th- so in that meeting where the client was explaining uh, the different types of houses that they were selling because mm-hmm. construction real estate so they were building many multi story flats and they were selling there were different types of flats they were selling one particular category that uh, the business head mentioned was assisted living which matches with what you said about uh, uh, these uh, senior members of the family being left out by the younger ones uh, into old age homes this is not necessarily old age home but in a way it is the same old age home but in a very different packaged in a very different format uh, and essentially that as when it comes to assisted living it was a case of younger stakeholders which then this comes from the head of the business a big construction company in bengaluru that the key target audience for that set of uh, houses or housing or assisted living as he called it was relatively younger stakeholders who were paying in advance to ensure when they reach the age of 60 70 you know post retirement they would have a place to live where they their job was just to live and because this is it is assisted living their laundry and everything there will be an infrastructure which will help the residents with that so essentially mm-hmm. a old age home except for uh, the format will be individual homes you know as against a whole dormitory of 20 beds and old people sharing that dormitory you know uh, it will still be an apartment complex except filled with a lot of old people who would depend on uh, uh, you know service uh, personnel Uh, who would help them with washing their clothes doing their dishes cooking for them or taking care of them if they had any medical needs 
so whatever mm-hmm. the family would do for them someone would be paid to do for them and they would be uh, they were investing in that sort of uh, real estate so hoping that you know when they reach that age they would rather pay for their uh, safe and comfortable life uh, you know while still not reaching that age so th- despite not having uh, kids or kids who are still very young they you know the, the very fact that people were investing in assisted living or you know or, or investing in forward looking real estate property where they want to pay for something upfront before they reach that stage it clearly indicates the mindset that people were very convinced oh when i am old my kids are not going to take care of me mm-hmm. and and uh, you know so, so i at that time was suspecting is it a case of these stakeholders who did not take care of their parents and now when they are crossing that age and approaching their old age they realize because they did not take care of their parents they are not willing to trust their kids to take care of them and they don't want to be a burden either they say okay you know what i am not going to be a burden to you uh, i'm i'm making i'm having i'm earning my living i have rather invest in something and then i will leave you have your own life so that i'll be there and uh, so i can manage by myself so to me uh, you know the construction industry coming up with a specific product line to cater against this emerging need clearly indicates the state of uh, social structure uh, but again that is not something i would just put on bengaluru similar types of uh, real estate activity happens even in here in chennai of course there used to be a time where chennai was also categorized as a city where the number of old age homes were growing uh, uh, but uh, you know so, so so that complaint fits for this as well but then uh, you know this uh, uh, perception again i would like to challenge my own view that you know my view says whoever went to bengaluru uh, turned out to be a, a violent person you know they might not okay. be holding shotguns and firing at everyone they see but uh, that was the only thing missing with them they they would be notoriously unreliable they will have very rude speech and they would not give basic level respect to others irrespective of age and they would for, they would for, for them every second of their life is a uh, live or die competition it's like yeah. oh, if i if i don't kill you you will kill me nobody is out there to kill you what is wrong with you this is what uh, a lot of people had to face with those who have been hardened by bengaluru lifestyle so so this this violence in bengaluru you know and, and you know this isolation crumbling social structure and uh, these you know uh, outlier elements such as favoritism uh, towards elite students you know how are these anyway connected to the growing violence in bengaluru the growing violence i guess all of these do have a part to play in it but uh, i i could be wrong here but um, i would like to blame the media for this because the portrayal of what a person should be has changed over time if you look at any kannada movie or any movie which is being mostly played in karnataka or bengaluru all of the movies tend to have uh, leading actors who tend to portray violence in their actions 
and have a rough nature and uh, young people and i don't think this was the case if you go back 10 or 15 years ago violence was there but not to the point as it is right now young people have minds uh, that are very impressionable uh, taking into consideration how people emulate uh, their own favorite actors from having long beards to long hair uh, i don't think it's a far reach to say that they are also emulating uh, the behavior of these actors of the characters that these people play in the movies now what i feel that uh, since uh, this rough sort of attitude uh, you might see most of this rage from uh, more of the less educated classes not completely uneducated but less educated classes because they don't have the moral poles to stand on probably or the principles to say this is right or wrong and they just emulate to the point where if you are a good person who comes to bengaluru and you get attacked by these people now you try to become more hardened because you try to navigate in a world which is filled with people like this you you change your positive behavior into slightly rougher behavior because you have to navigate every day with people like this i believe this is why people are becoming rougher when they come here because you have to put up with people as rough as this mm-hmm. now now looking at uh, some of the recent incidents that i came across one such video surfaced uh, and it was also reported on the quint that uh, you know where, where uh, uh, the video is captured from the dash cam of a vehicle uh, two mm-hmm. people on a motorcycle uh, they probably come close to a crash or a small bump uh or a bumper hit with a four wheeler a car uh but uh, uh you know th- th- there is this argument that gets started the mistake is yours the mistake is yours between the two wheeler person and the four wheeler person but uh, uh, you know the moment uh, the two wheeler uh, stay th- those two guys on the motorcycle they get aggravated they make it a point to uh you know get down from their bike they literally come to the car and they demand this person that he either roll down his window or open the door and get out this person has his family inside and he doesn't want to risk anything and he just drives but they persistently followed him to some extent and they were continuously challenging him uh for what i presume from the video was a physical fight get out like they really wanted to settle some score irrespective mm-hmm. of uh, who said the mistake was because the video did not say or establish that part of it very clearly but irrespective of who was on the wrong side when it came to that traffic incident which started that uh, altercation uh, the, the, you know that that violent behavior of i am going to beat you i am going to cause harm to you and them deliberately following uh, the car you know are these incidents outliers in bengaluru i wouldn't say these are outliers mm-hmm. uh, you you can find such incidents happen to most people at least from my perspective if you live in the center of the city now let's say you drive a little rashly people would just come out angry 
Now, uh, my assessment might be wrong, but if it is a non-Bengalurian person who is relatively new, he will not get into any form of altercation. Now, if it is a Bengaluru person, a little rough, because he had certain experiences in the past, he will get into an altercation and fight for whatever it is. And uh, I feel this all again circles back to the people being frustrated from a disconnect in society and the inflation. And since everybody is chasing these uh, unreachable goals from my perspective, and only few people making it, now you become resentful if you don't make it. So these people get bitter and uh, lash out. That is how I feel this is. And plus media playing also a decent role in helping them form a sense of what they must do in certain situations. That also is uh, contributing to this. Hmm. No, no, no. Have yes, please. The road rage. Um, there have been incidents, let's say, uh, crime not only limited to road rage, where uh, it's chain snatching. Phone snatching has become very common in Bangalore as of now. So why do you think people need other people's phones? So it's that aspiration of becoming something is driving these people to a for many of them, at least. Like some mm -hmm. people would be there who are driven by abject poverty, but I don't feel uh, many of these uh, snatchers go by that. Mm -hmm. Now, it is interesting you mentioned chain and phone snatching. Now, clearly, uh, uh, you know, any town uh, becomes vulnerable to crime uh, the moment it starts uh, creating a uh, ever-growing state of economic disparity where the rich get richer and the poor stay poorer uh, you know you know so it is usually from those impoverished communities a lot of crime comes out and now i don't mm -hmm. want to justify that crime but uh, in, in most circumstances uh, you know uh, the the poverty and uh, uh, the the economic differences and disparity uh, is uh, uh, one of the main reasons behind such crime. And then comes the other issues such as addiction, because a lot of people who snatch phones and uh, uh, chains, they are not doing it because they want to buy medicine for their sick mother. Yeah, They are doing it because they need their daily dose of booze or drugs or something like that. Or they they want to spend on something, and you know that's where the inflation comes in within their own means. You know when they look at the legitimate opportunities to earn money that they have access to. Uh, okay, mm -hmm. given that they are, if someone hasn't had a formal education, uh, you know the only uh, opportunities to earn money is uh, either if they have the money they can set up a business for themselves. If they do not have that sort of economic background, then. Uh, you know, a C-class worker job is all they have access to. It's it's a laborer uh, role that they have to play. And a city like Bengaluru going through many cycles of inflation, uh, you know, with their daily wages, they might not be able to afford the very minimal uh, requirements. And oftentimes, uh, uh, you know, they resort to uh, crime as a consequence of that as well. But then, uh, you know, 
with this economic disparity the crime will always be there but uh, uh, how, how, you are born and raised in bengaluru and what you say kind of corroborates my perception however i know i haven't lived in bengaluru i have visited bengaluru uh, a few times and the longest i have stayed there was 3 uh, to 4 days probably a week nothing more than that and uh, even in those instances yes i had noticed that even at that time bengaluru was uh, a many folds expensive than chennai uh, so i did notice uh, inflation there but uh, uh, you know would you say as someone born and raised in bengaluru bengaluru is becoming a monster uh due to the negativity and the darker side yes due to the overall hype around the culture of reaching the top 5% yes mm-hmm. due to the lack of focus on mental peace probably Mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. for that as well mm-hmm. lack of focus on family and disconnect yes as well because the moment you step out of bengaluru you can actually breathe but when you are in bengaluru you are in a mad rush mm. to do something mm. okay the, the the life is way too mechanical so does that mean bengaluru is evolving into a southern mumbai absolutely yes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then that clearly is a lesson for all the other cities and towns aspiring to become the next bengaluru uh, because what bengaluru is going through right now eventually the other cities will go through in the coming years uh, but, but but you know n- now this state of crimes uh, does make better sense but then again looking at the other side uh there has to be bengalurians who are peace loving who are kind who are smiling uh, who do not necessarily display that uh, uh, if you don't kill me i will kill you attitude uh, and who are pleasant uh, sounding uh, now in this conversation i don't see you demonstrating anything like that you are also born and raised in bengaluru so there are people who do maintain and display a sense of sanity what portion of the bengaluru population do they constitute and how do they maintain their sanity in your view such individuals are very far and few from my perspective because uh, every 7 or 8 out of 10 people are wearing uh, charlatan masks but all because of uh, the i wouldn't say exactly toxic but sort of toxic culture we have over here can you can, can you shed our, more light on that toxic culture what what in your view is contributing to toxicity in bengaluru complete lack of community complete uh, lack of peace from my end and uh, inflation lack of infrastructure and uh, the influx of people coming in 
So that isn't positively contributing for anything. Maybe, mm-hmm. yes, business is growing, but uh, then again, more people means uh, higher inflation, bad infrastructure, more traffic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it is interesting. You did mention something which I was about to ask you. This influx of people from outside, you know, non-Bengalurians moving in and settling in Bengalurians. Uh, if, if, if we remove all the non-Bengalurians from Bengaluru or if we stop non-Bengalurians from settling in Bengaluru moving forward, do you think the city's toxicity will come down? Probably. Because mm-hmm. uh, then it would be more opportunities for the native people over here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, I, I understand. With, with less people, there is less competition. So yeah. the demand and supply equalizes relatively quicker. Uh, because know. many of my friends are there who have to, who were finding it very difficult to get jobs in Bengaluru, but had to resort to go to Pune to get a job. So, like mm. If we have a very high demand for IT talent over here, then why are they moving to Pune? Because they are mm. in the IT field as well. But there is a lack of openings for people from here and many talented people come over from all all of India essentially. Mm-hmm. So they take up most of the jobs over here. You have mm-hmm. less opportunities for uh, native people over here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you say that uh, this lack of opportunity in Bengaluru due to others coming into Bengaluru, is that a consequence of preferential hiring by the stakeholders in the industry that that could be i my experience with talking with the hiring people is fairly limited but mm-hmm. what i have seen is that uh, there was one instance uh, where i went to a large aviation manufacturing company and was asking about openings and they said they had already hired since there were uh, in a very close proximity to a to our college, I expected they would come in for recruitment drive, drive over here, but they actually hired people from Hyderabad and Telangana for those roles, entry-level roles, rather than a college which is close to you. So that made no sense to me. So if they are getting those opportunities, that means less opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. Now, those stakeholders who were or at least in your view, were responsible for recruiting people from Hyderabad, Telangana. Uh, were they also Telugu? I believe so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it is a case of people hiring their own in Bengaluru, which is denying opportunities to everyone on a level playing field. So as long as you have someone of your kind in a company, you stand a better chance of getting hired there. I might get a lot, lot of flack for this, but yes, that's mm-hmm. what's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there are many people who hire for talent specifically. I wouldn't discount them. But uh, the general sentiment what I see is that you hire your own people. True, true. I, I have noticed similar things here as well. And, and again, this is not something only Bengaluru is demonstrating. Even Chennai... Uh, you ask people in Chennai, those who live here in Chennai and work in Chennai, they will also narrate many stories of where people end up uh, hiring just their own. 
not on the basis of experience and skill set but uh, some other identities linguistic or caste and so on uh, but you know this is about uh, the influence of uh, uh, external stakeholders in bengaluru causing uh, a rough competition which could uh, be a, a, a one of the variables driving that roughness in the bengalurian attitude but then you said a loss of sense of community now when it comes to a loss of sense of community i would discount the the involvement of others in the bengaluru now do you also notice the idea of oneness dropping away from the kannadiga crowd in or, or at least the bangalore native crowd how do you describe that loss of sense of community in bengaluru okay so when i say loss of sense of community i don't mean that oneness among kannadigas being dropping off mm-hmm. because when they have a cause they usually huddle together mm-hmm. but uh, uh let's say 15 years ago uh, bengaluru was the place where you could just walk around talk with people and be free mm-hmm. and everybody would have been open to you that positive vibe was there but right now everyone is just closed shut to the point where uh, there is no point even reaching out to people so the place where i used to stay back then everyone didn't see the class creed sort of distinction and if your neighbors you just get along you speak mm-hmm. but now when i re- uh, go back to the same place and see it looks like uh, a wasteland Mm-hmm. every door and window is shut only people come out to buy their provisions and they run back home mm. so that tells me that people are not interacting with each other everyone mm. is scared for some reason mm-hmm. is is this a difference you have been noticing for a while or is it just something that you are noticing right now i have been noting noticing this uh, isolated behavior for the last 7 or 8 years mhm before that people people were a lot more pleasant yeah mhm people mm-hmm. were a lot more pleasant and open to conversation mhm but right now if you go and talk with somebody the conversation would just end hi who are you how are you you're good bye bye that's it mhm so if you had a neighbor she would actually share uh, provisions with you talk with you for hours together every day this would have been the course but nowadays people don't even share provisions or even knock each other's door mm-hmm. people do don't know who their neighbors are yeah they do attend ceremonies if they are invited to but mindlessly essentially bengaluru has lost its soul from what i see mhm mhm okay and and besides the entry of non bengalurian people uh, what are the native reasons which are also contributing to this state are there any local localized reasons for this uh, change that you are observing in bengaluru the whole phenomenon of uh, showing off having that cloak and dagger relationship with others fearing everybody thinking oh what might he think maybe i am not of his uh, level of sorts 
that whole mm-hmm. fear is driving people away mm-hmm. from each other mm-hmm. and uh, the whole families being crumbled that is also not positively contributing to, to this fact as well mm-hmm. so that is further driving away individuals hence the epidemic of loneliness in bangalore mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay now uh, we, we have reached the end of this conversation uh, now you know touching back uh, on the two uh, crime incidents that i uh, found interesting in that documentary uh, you know a woman killing her mother just to save her from embarrassment and then a father uh, willingly uh, giving away his uh, daughter uh, you know uh, again you know uh, two ends of the economic spectrum but then people giving up on their family uh, and uh, they are not necessarily someone from outside you know they, it is canadian they are uh, in bangalore uh, so Do, would you agree that all of these different uh, game layer elements that we talk about you know uh, uh, rich people favoring rich people or the elite students getting favoritism from teachers and then uh, you know loneliness and frustration due to inflation uh, resulting in road rage and uh, you know influx of non bengalurians causing more competition and unfair recruiting practices causing bitterness all of this could have driven her uh, uh, foolish uh, decision making absolutely absolutely if uh, we were uh, probably 15 years ago such a new such a news would be a very nuanced news maybe one out of 1 lakh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but now whenever you open the newspaper it's from people killing each other for uh, no practical gain mm. parents arming their kids in any form even mm. uh, newborn babies but that's this lack of disconnect lack of uh, roles of people being dissolved mm. from a father to just someone who makes money a career person mm-hmm because if you don't stay long enough with your kids how do you know it's your kid so that dissolution of all these things the elitism everything sort of channels into this uh, dark beast of bengaluru per se mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so y- y- you are of the view that the growing economic disparity by far is the largest contributor to the growing bitterness uh, in 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 bangalorean society as such and that's what yes. is driving the bitterness in uh, the people and every other element that we discussed is just a add on to it absolutely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the But, economic mm-hmm. disparity seems to be the major driver and others being just the by products of it uh so of all the different things that uh, we have discussed so far uh, uh do you think economic disparity uh or the difference uh, between the rich and poor that is a key and a strong contributor uh to all these differences essentially how people treat each other is that the case with bengaluru uh, i feel yes that it is strong contributor to corroborate 
uh, let me narrate an instance probably 10 15 years ago which i had so uh, when i was in school uh, we used to have these pta meetings right so when i and my father used to go and we we were asked to sit in the last and wait for our turn so if you think it should be generally a queue system right the next parent the next parent the next parent mm -hmm. it never used to happen like that we used to come in early but still uh, we were like the last ones or like if no other parents are around then we would be entertained otherwise someone would just come in middle and uh, they would just steal the teacher away and the teacher would ask us to wait another 10 minutes Clearly for me, this uh, demonstrates that how people ignore other people based on uh, the economic situation. Hence, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I feel uh, the economic disparity in Bengaluru is uh, a great driving factor towards all the dark side of Bengaluru. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so now summing up, do you really think uh, Bengaluru uh, is in a state is capable of recovering from this uh, state of uh, violence so to speak I don't want to be pessimistic but I don't feel we can recover mm -hmm. we have uh, gone beyond the point of no return and with a very large population mm -hmm. it will be a very very difficult challenge for us to return back to how things were before all the rage inside of people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting. Now, you know, the, my takeaway from this uh, uh, interesting discussion that we have had so far is that uh, every city goes through many phases and, uh, you know, Mumbai, Delhi went through these phases uh, many years ago and they still maintain a certain element of their rough edges. Uh, and, you know, based on our discussion, Bengaluru is in the middle of that phase. And uh, to me, it only indicates that uh, not just Bengaluru or Mumbai or Delhi, any city, it could be Chennai, it could be Coimbatore, Trichy, uh, you know, the Amaravati, the next new capital coming up, or any other city uh, could face similar circumstances such as that of, you know, Bengaluru's uh, aggressive uh, atmosphere where, uh, it is uh, the society is unsociable or it people don't feel that safe uh, living in Bengaluru. Uh, you know the same mm -hmm. situation can happen can happen and you know any city can go through that eventually you know when the same number of people uh, make it to Chennai, Chennai might also go through a similar phase and if I'm not wrong, Chennai is already beginning to demonstrate, uh, similar rougher edges but you know we are still not as big and as densely populated as Bengaluru uh, but we are very well catching up with Bengaluru so yeah so whatever Bengaluru is now uh, Chennai might be that uh, in some years in future and then the other smaller towns uh, will just take a bit longer but eventually they will also reach that stage I think uh, the lesson to be learned is uh, uh, you know, in a, any uh, big city which gets denser in population and where, uh, you know, uh, inflation and economic disparity 
coexist and kind of kept keep propagating without uh, any flatlining or decline uh, then naturally uh, people will be forced uh, to live a very rough uh, life and when when life is not very comfortable uh, those who are living those uncomfortable lives cannot be expected to display very pleasant behavior with a smiling face they mm-hmm. are going to be this but then uh, uh, while i give credit Uh, to bengaluru for accommodating so many people uh, you know it does have its own issues and so does any other city what i still don't understand is uh, even from uh, mumbai I, i have spoken with people from mumbai i have spoken with people from delhi and other cities it is someone from bengaluru who told me meat eaters are rude and he did not say that as a uh a, a accusation on non vegetarian people no he himself is a meat eater a non vegetarian he said that as a, a in a sense of pride or acceptance of a hard fact saying yeah meat eaters are rude meat eaters are rude meat does that to people uh so you know that there is a big wave of defending rude behavior in uh, bengaluru and uh, for some reason that i don't think i will ever understand meat eating and rudeness are being compared uh, you know uh, people from other cities did not say that it is someone from bengaluru who said that so you know mm-hmm. bengaluru definitely stands in very different light in my own mind uh, and having seen uh, people whom i know evolve very differently uh, from a personality standpoint after they moved into bengaluru and having witnessed the high prices in bengaluru uh, you know i can understand uh, what it might be but uh, uh, you know uh, again uh, I, i strongly believe our audience uh, will also have an opportunity to think about this now we will have to put this disclaimer that this discussion has nothing to do with categorizing bengaluru as bad or anything this can happen to any city we just happened to pick uh, a city which is going through th- this phase so that uh, you know we have this uh, bitter discussion now so the other cities can learn from this you know we you know we we want a nice place to live and we want to leave a nice place for our future generations we cannot do that unless and until we identify the problems and start categorizing problems as problems and essentially start talking about problems Uh, rather than throwing the blame on each other uh, and just throwing uh, uh, problems into the basket of yeah that happens that's the way it is that's life uh, and then uh, you know the, you know that sort of an attitude will never help us achieve any sustainable solutions so irrespective of the population the economic disparity needs to reduce we need to treat each other with respect and kindness uh, you know we you know rude behavior uh cannot be cannot be normalized and it cannot be accepted as normal but then uh, if people are being forced to display that sort of behavior uh, then it only means that rude behavior is the only way they can protect themselves then that is the indicator that the city or the town where they live is dying and we need to prevent indian cities from such uh, uh, horrible death uh, and on that note uh, Uh, i would thank you rr for taking time to uh, 
uh, have this uh, really long discussion with me and opening up with your own personal experiences and letting non-Bengalurian people have a very fair uh, and unbiased view of Bengaluru. Uh, you know, the, some of the insights that you said, uh, you know, if, if I were to be born and raised in Bengaluru, I would have thought twice, uh, you know, because I would have this uh, guilty feeling of putting down my own cities. You are very open towards it. And we need this sort of uh, open discussion uh, so we can make uh, the place where we live a better place for us and for those around us and for our future generation. So thanks for taking time to speak with me. Uh, thank you, Arun, for uh, having me on this discussion. Uh, this was a very thought-provoking and uh, trip down the memory lane sort of discussion for me as well. I hope uh, your viewers and uh, if there are Bengalurians as well, to understand uh, what we go through and can relate with uh, my experiences and hopefully cities who are uh, on their track of growth can learn from our mistakes and become better. Sure, sure. It was nice speaking with you and uh, I would like to have you on this show one more time uh, with a very different topic. Uh, hopefully not uh, dealing with the bad things about Bengaluru, <laughs> so, so something more positive. But anyways, uh, thanks for taking time to speak with me. Uh, I'm sure the audience would uh, love the insights you shared. Thank you. Thank you.